Let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9. And the first nine verses, warning against self-security, is the way we've divided the first nine verses of this ninth chapter. And then, verses 10 through 17, is Israel once beloved, but now wanders, strangers, wanders in the earth. This ninth chapter, the first nine verses, is the third part of chapter 8 and verse and chapter 9. In fact, chapter 8, the first seven verses were judgment that's announced. Verses 8 through 14 was the apostasy which results in the judgment. And then, chapter 9, as we just given you, verses 1 through 9, is warning against self-security. Warning against self-security. And we take it verse by verse as well as give you a division for it. If you need that division, we can give that to you later uh, as we progress along. Now, as we look at these verses, we try to study them verse by verse and get as much as we can out of them. And if we get through the ninth and get into the tenth, it'll just be that much the better. So, uh, let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. So, God says here to through Hosea to Israel, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. For thou hast gone a-whoring from thy God, and thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Now, there's a whole lot that we need to study as we look at this portion of Scripture. But this is actually a warning against self-security. They were not to rejoice in the things that they were now tangled up in, the idolatry and the worship that they were uh, had fallen away from God. And they seemed to be uh, feeling that they were self-secure. And you know, a lot of times when God's people get, get the feeling they're self-secure, then they're in the worst state uh, that they can be in. And he's saying, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. Do not... Uh, Imitate the heathen, nor serve their idols. They were serving the idols. We've already studied in the 8th chapter that they had in verse 5, Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. And we find that they've sown, verse 7, they've sown the wind. They shall reap the whirlwind. God is telling them how far away they were from Him in uh, going into idolatry. In verse 4 it says, They have set... And 8th chapter, verse 4, They set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. They had gone into idolatry. Back as in the days of Jeroboam when he set up calves, one in the northern part in the southern part of the kingdom. And he did that so that we had this in our last lesson, so it would be convenient for everyone in the north and the south to go to worship, but not in Jerusalem, the place that he had dedicated to worship. You find it in 1 Kings chapter 12. And we discussed a man-made religion in Jeroboam's day. He devised it out of his own heart. He set it up for the convenience of the people. He did it because he didn't want the kingdom to return again to Judah. And he did it for selfish reasons. I mean, politics and religion is a terrible thing. It's bad enough in government, isn't it? But when you let it start being in religion, it's, it gets worse. So anyway, uh, God is warning them here against self-security. So He says that they are not to imitate the heathen, 
They're not to serve their idols and not to practice their impurities, which they were doing. So verse 1, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people. For thou hast gone a whoring from thy God, thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. In other words, they were enjoying the fruits of the corn floor and the wine press that tells in verse 2. They had gone to given themselves to feasting and rejoicing in things that were not godly. We have ungodly feasts today, don't we? And ungodly uh, gatherings. Under the reign of Jeroboam II, Israel had enjoyed great prosperity. They had an abundant harvest. And instead of thanking God for this, they, they had, uh, gave themselves to, to feasting and rejoicing. In the previous chapter we read where that they, in verse 4, in chapter 8, verse 4, where that they had, uh, of their silver and their gold, have they made them idols. They used all their benefits that God had given them in a corrupt way, in a polluted way. In a sinful way. And you know, sometimes that's what Christians do. They take what God has blessed them with and use it in the wrong way. If God has blessed you financially, physically, materially, or whatever, use it for the glory of God. And if we'll use what God has given us, He'll give us more. And He'll bless our lives along with it. But they did not see it that way. And they felt self-secure in the situation that they were in. Remember over in the book of Revelation where one church said that they were rich and had need of nothing. And Jesus says, you do not know that you're poor and blind and naked and and in need of God's blessings. And you, if you turn to Revelation, let me read it for you. Revelation chapter 2. If I can get it right quickly. No, it's chapter 3. <clears throat> he says in verse 16, we'll read it on down from verse 16. And this is the church of the Laodiceans, by the way, that had departed from God, the church of apostasy. And he says in chapter 3, verse 16, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, here's their self-satisfaction and their self-security, they thought. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye save, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he was ready to receive them if they would just open. So back, much same, same thing back here in the book of Hosea. So let's look at verse 2. Hold your place where we're studying. Hosea chapter 9, verse 2. The floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. The Lord warns them about their self-security and tells them that they will be not satisfied and not really complete in what they profess to have. And verse 3 says, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria, which they were forbidden to do. Remember, we gave you a reference, I believe it's Isaiah 31, verse 1, where it says, Woe unto those or to them that go down to Egypt for help, that stay on horses and trust in chariots, because there are many. Remember, I think we had it in our last lesson. 
And that's like a Christian going out to the world, back to the world for their help and not trusting in God for it. In God, Egypt is a picture of the world in, in the scriptures. And it says they shall return to Egypt. And then they were about to go into Assyrian captivity. They shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And the reason they would eat unclean things is we'll read verse 4 and explain it. It says, They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto Him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread for their souls shall not come into the house of the Lord. As the bread of mourners is an outstanding statement in verse 4. Look at it. All this is related to a dead body. And everything related to it was polluted and unclean. If you study in Deuteronomy, I believe it's 26 verse 14, is one verse, but the whole of the passage shows us that everything... Let me read that verse. Deuteronomy 24, I mean 26 and verse 14. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 14. It says, I have not eaten thereof in my morning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead. But I have hearkened unto the voice of the Lord my God, and have not, and have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. So anything that was uh, in related to a dead body was considered unclean and polluted and unholy. And so we find that all that's related to this back in holds your place in Hosea chapter nine. Now holds your place there every time. All that was related to this bread of mourners, mourners was uh, considered to be polluted and unclean. And it says in verse 4, They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord. God would not be pleasing, pleased with it. Neither shall they be pleasing unto Him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted. For their bread for their soul shall not come into the house of the Lord. Then he says in verse 5, What will you do in the, in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? God is saying, what will you do? Are you going to continue where you are? When we get over to the 11th chapter, he's going to give several reasons how that he loved Israel and he taught them and he healed them and he drew them with cords of love and bands of love and so on and so forth. There's six wonderful things in the 11th chapter when we get there. How that God was wanting His people to return in repentance. And you know, I believe the same heart of, of uh, love and desire for God's people to repent and turn to Him is prevail to, prevailing today if they would just turn. And He says, what will you do in the solemn day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? God remembers all their iniquities. And the day of judgment was at hand. And they were going to be left to, to Egypt and Memphis. And they were going to uh, bury their dead bodies. Memphis shall bury them, it says in verse 6. But before we get there, just think of what was coming upon them. And it was near at hand. Just because judgment is near at hand does not mean people will repent. Sometimes if they can see the handwriting on the wall, they will. And you know it would do well if we'd wake up in our own lives and in the lives of the church and in the lives of our nation to see the handwriting on the wall. And if we do, then it would make a difference in our own lives. Every once in a while, I ask God to help me like David. Try my heart and my reins. Search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And ask God, invite God on the inside to see where I really stand. And then, you know, almost every time I do that, it leads me to bow my knees and say, God, forgive me, please. Forgive my sins. 
And if if we'll do that, I, I don't know any other outcome uh, for it when we ask that kind of question other than repentance. The best outcome. And if we'll do that, I'm sure that it'll make a difference in our own lives as well as in the lives that, that we uh, influence round about us. So, God remembers all their iniquities, their sins, and He visits sins, their sins upon them. And I want you to continue reading with me in Hosea 9, verse 6. For lo, they are gone because of destruction. The destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places for their silver. Nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. The, the places where they reserve their gold and their silver. Places of treasures. What did it say happened to them? Nettles shall possess them and thorns shall be in their tabernacles. You know, it's a terrible thing for God to have to visit His own people in such a fashion. In verse 7, He says, The days of visitation are come. Visitation means His uh, visitation of judgment upon them. He visits them with judgment. The days of recompense are come when God will repay. Israel shall know it. It says, The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. Boy, this shows how they needed spiritual leadership in that day and hour. I believe we need it today too, don't we? Some spiritual leadership. leadership, And it has to start. You know where it starts? It starts in the home. It starts in the local church. It extends on out as far as we are able to reach. Into our missionaries and the ones we send, the ones we love, the ones we support. And we're thankful for every one of them. And I'm thankful that the church is able to help every missionary we have. And the action that the church took last week to help one that was in need. I think sent him, what, a thousand dollars, was it? We sent him because he needed a little extra help at this time. So, the Lord will take care of us if we do His work and do His will. And I believe that it's our responsibility to carry out the Great Commission, as Jesus said. But He said here, the prophet is a fool and the spiritual man, a man of the Spirit, if you have a marginal reference, is mad. If that was so in that day, and these are days compared to evil days before the coming of Jesus, because Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be before days before the coming of the Son of Man. And wicked men and seducers, Paul says, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we have this kind of a, a thing actually in some realms of Christianity. That the prophet is a fool and the spiritual man is mad. We don't have the Old Testament prophets today, but we do have those professing to be spiritual that sometimes are leading men astray. I like the song we sang earlier tonight. Brother Ron led us in. On Christ the solid rock I sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And if we start preaching Christ and His shed blood as the only hope for any soul, then we're preaching, we're on the right track. And if we miss this as Christ's death on the cross and His shed blood for our justification, we've missed the whole point altogether. Because the Bible teaches that none of us shall be justified by His own works in the sight of God. And the Bible tells us that Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The last part of Romans chapter 4 and Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, because of that, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's follow this on down. It says, uh, 
Verse 7, the days of visitation are come, the days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it, the prophet is a fool, the spiritual man is mad, for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. Now look at this eighth verse. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. See, prophet and priest had gone away from God. We studied earlier in this same book that like priests, their prophets and priests were just uh, together. There was no difference. I forget what chapter it was. The people uh, were like that. Yeah, chapter 4, verse 9, And there shall be like people, like priests. 4, verse 9, look at it. There shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for, all, for their ways and reward them for their doings. He says, For they shall eat it and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. They forgot to take heed to the Lord. That's chapter 4. And verse uh, 9 and 10. Okay, back in chapter 9, if you will, please. In verse 9, it says, They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. He will visit their sins upon them. And they have deeply, look at this statement, corrupted themselves. That's what they did in the days of Moses. Remember when Moses came down off the mountain? God says, the people that you have have corrupted themselves. They've polluted themselves. He says they're stiff-necked people. They've gone away from God. And when it says they have corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah, if you wanted to go back and read the 19th chapter of the book of Judges, you would find that it relates to the shocking rape and murder of the, Levi, of the Levite's wife. And the sins that you read in the 19th chapter of the book of Judges, you might write down Judges 19 and go back and study it when you get home in private. And you'll see why God said they had deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Now then, verses 10 through 17 of this chapter, Israel, once beloved, but now wanders. And by the way, they were wanders until just, what, 1948, was it? All through the world, it, it happened for almost 2,000 years, or over 2,000 years. And especially after they begin to have to wonder about after the days of Jesus, but they are wonders. Oh, it's true, God did restore them for a time in the Old Testament. But we find also that they uh, took up the same thing in the days of Jesus. And when they rejected Him, He said that they would be scattered, and they were scattered until a particular time. And we know the nation of Israel was not in existence until when? 1948. So they wandered some nearly 2,000 years after the days of Jesus. So let's look at this. It says, uh, if you look in verse uh, 9, they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity and he will visit their sins. Now, uh, verses 10 through verse 10, now we pick it up we'll find that the title that we gave you, Israel once beloved, but now wonders. Verses 10 through 17. Like a wayfaring man. And let's read it. In verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at a first uh, time. Look, this is what God felt of Israel at first, like in their youth or in the days of their espousal to Him. Very dear. It'd be like a, a young man taking his bride. And the joy of, of uh, 
youth and finding, beginning to start out and finding what? I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, food and moisture. And then he says, I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. This is God's relationship to Israel at the beginning. And then he says, but, look at this. Circle that word or underline it. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame and their abominations were according as they loved. Talk about a departure. First, they were like a wayfaring man that finds grapes or figs in the desert and delights in them. And then they go to this Baal Peor, one of the filthiest gods in heathendom, and thus departed from God in a terrible, ridiculous fashion. And it says, and they separate themselves unto that shame. I mean, they just not only went that direction, but they separate themselves and adjoin themselves with that shame. And then it says, and their abominations was according as they loved. It wasn't that they were caught in a temptation. They deliberately, open-eyed, and rebelliously departed from God and chose such heathenish, filthiest worship of the gods of the heathen that they could find. It would be like a Christian today saying, I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to leave the people of God. I'm going to leave the house of God. I'm going to go out here and live like I want to live and lust and sin and like he felt like he wanted to live. But on the other hand, he'd never find satisfaction there. And turn back to the world. Remember Paul said concerning one, he says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. And sometimes you'll find people that will forsake the church. I mean, I see people every day here in Rio Dosa that were once in the house of God. At least somewhere in the, in the, in the city. They call it a city now, I guess it is. Village of Rio Dosa. And the city of Rio Dosa Downs, you know. Rio Dosa Downs, how many? About 800 or 1,000 people. I, I don't know the population. Used to be you had to qualify to be a city, but now you don't. It's just a name. But anyway, be that as it may, people all over, I see them every day. That when they were little boys and girls, they were here in church in Sunday school. And uh, young people possibly even that age. Then all of a sudden you see them out in the world, out doing what they they think they want to do, living in uh, a, a losing fashion of life. And they are losers when they get there. Because the only winners are the ones that stay with with the Lord. If you'll stay with Jesus and stay with the Word of God and stay with the church of God, regardless what comes or goes, you're going to be on the winning team. I'll guarantee you. God, He's, he's not a loser. And you're not going to be a loser either if you stay with the Lord. But notice what happened here. But they went to Baal Peor. This is verse 10. Uh, and separated themselves. These words are very emphatic. Separated themselves under that shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. It was that they loved it this way. Now, verse 11 now. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. Their glory would depart. You've seen a bird fly away? That'd be like your glory. And when you get in the same situation that Israel was in, the, in those days, it's going to fly away. It's going to depart from you. And then look what's the fruit of it. It says... From the birth and from the womb and from the conception. That they would not even be fruitful. They would not have children. They would not be multiplied. And then look at the next verse. Verse 12. 
Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them. That's sad. They could bring... Suppose some of them did make it from birth and from the womb. Suppose they did have some fruit bearing. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them. And there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. It's one thing for people to depart from God, but how horrible a situation when God says, when I depart from them. That's sadder yet, isn't it? And people can get in such a situation that that will be the case. God help you and I at least to repent of our sins and stay close to God and and not forsake the, uh, the Lord Himself and the house of God, the church of God, and the people of God. And if we'll stay where we ought to stay, we organized this church in February 1959. It'll be 44 years, won't it, this, this uh, February. And there could have been many times that all of us could have given up through the years. But you, you want to stay by the stuff. You say, well, preacher, you don't have a house full tonight. I've got some here. Amen. It's been full and it's been half full. In fact, I've preached to just two or three people here on Wednesday nights. I think Edna Falls and Linda were a couple of them that's here years ago. They'd come in the door, be snow 14, 16 inches on the ground. Here they'd come. Edna would drive down from the upper canyon. Linda would come from, from work and go get over here. And no one else show up because the weather's bad. You know, there's been times. I have to tell you this little story. And most of you have heard it. Remember the old rancher up in the... Wyoming or Montana or somewhere and there's a big snow on the ground and one old rancher comes in on the evening service and he looks around and he says, well, says, there's just one here. I guess, you know, Jesus preached to Nicodemus. He said, I'll go ahead and preach. So he got up and he preached this whole sermon. Just just preached it right like he would if he had the whole church full. And after it's over, he asked this Rancher, he says, how'd you like the service? And he says, preacher, is a good sermon. He says, good. I really enjoyed it. But he says, you know, if I go out there in the pasture to feed the cattle and I have a truckload, of, wagon load of hay out there, a truckload of hay, and I go to, says, if one old cow shows up, I don't dump the whole load. <laughs> so, but that's what we used to do. Even if there was just two here, we'd just dump the whole load. Because the best sermon, one of the most remembered sermons that Jesus preached, and you must be born again, was preached to a congregation of one, Nicodemus. And we've taken that and preached it to multitudes since then. Because you must be born again, except a man be born again and cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now let's look at this in verse 12. It says, though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, and there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. How sad. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Remember, they went into captivity to the Assyrians. It says in verse 14, this is if the prophet himself is saying something. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Hosea says, give them, O Lord. Well, what wilt thou give? What are you going to give them? And he thinks about their sins, and then he says, give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. In other words, the prophet himself had to feel the judgment that was was, uh, coming upon them. 
Look at verse 15. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. And we referred back to the previous chapter or two showing that they had turned those holy places into places that were, uh, were desecrated. It says, For there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. So God is telling them how horrible it is that they've departed. It says, Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. See, God is the one that makes us fruitful. Without God in in certain situations in life, there's no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb, if they do have any fruit. And it says in verse 17, My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto Him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. And that was true in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came unto His own, and His own received Him not, remember John chapter 1, verse 11, 12. As Twelve, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So, and when they rejected Jesus, what did He say would happen to them? Exactly what had happened to them. And He tells of the destruction that came in 70 A.D. under Titus. And the Jews were scattered here and there and everywhere. Many destroyed. And they wandered among nations until 1948. And now it's kind of a a sign of the things that will come for them in the future. And we've studied in the book of Romans, the 11th chapter, where there will finally be a, a resurrection and a restoration of those beloved ones that have so long been away from God. Notice, they shall be wonders among the nations. We'll pick up with chapter 10 in our next lesson, and we'll find their guilt and their punishment in chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. So thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand together and... And uh, we'll be dismissed in prayer.